0: hello this is dr benjamin smith lecturer in philosophy with catholic studies academy welcome to take every thought captive where we explore the 2000 year old catholic intellectual tradition today i am joined by dr richard bolzichelli our lecturer in theology to discuss the second vatican council this year is the 60th anniversary of the council uh so there's been a lot of uh discussion uh, renewed interest um uh, debate, maybe a little bit of controversy, would you say, doctor Kelly? Uh Oh, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Maybe that's right. More <laughs> than about the council bit. and the meaning and its legacy, uh, I guess you could say. Um, I know that uh, on the Internet, there's been, a, let's say, a lot of discussion about um, kind of the meaning of the council, uh, sort of what direction the council should uh, push us in. I know. Currently, we're in a period of uh, the synod on synodality, right, uh, which some you know, people claim is a, sort of an essential fruit, right, of the Second Vatican Council. Some people react to that negatively. Uh, so there's say, a lot of debate, discussion uh, about uh, this, as well as a lot of people, I think, stepping forward to talk about what they see as the positive fruits, right, uh, of the Second Vatican Council. So uh, we thought today would be a good opportunity uh, Dr. Bulzakelli has a good did a good bit of expertise uh in this area, uh, to sort of just uh, have an open discussion about um, the meaning of the Second Vatican Council, uh, its relationship to the kind of larger Catholic tradition, right? Uh, and what it should mean for us uh in our own time and uh going forward. Um, Rich, I know one of the ways that that this the council is often talked about is um In terms of its relationship to the prior teaching right yeah uh the prior sort of uh catholic tradition especially the western catholic tradition uh and whether or not it is in continuity or discontinuity uh with that prior tradition correct me if i'm wrong i believe um, before he became pope when he was still prefect of the cdf uh Cardinal Ratzinger at the time, uh, you know, s- publicly and, and specifically addressed the Second Vatican Council and current
1: theological debates in those terms. Is that correct? Yeah, so basically, um, for much of his career, even before he was even before he was um really in a position of great power in the church, mm-hmm. uh, Ratzinger um read the council in terms of um in terms of this uh, question about continuity versus discontinuity, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it continuity is it rupture? Mm-hmm. And he was of the view that uh, the council was continuous with tradition mm-hmm. and he thought that this what he called the hermeneutic of continuity was the only way to really understand the council in a Catholic sense okay hermeneutic of rupture is necessarily um, is necessarily uncatholic, okay. Right? So, so what, you would say what, that, this what is is that an erroneous interpretation of the council, although advocated for by many. Sure. What would a, what does it
0: mean? So, like, what would it mean? What does it mean to say to interpret the council in continuity with the past? Like, what would be sort of a <clears throat> um, a conceptual or theological uh, sort of example of that?
1: Well, there are basically two uh, ideas I think that work in uh, in tandem on this, right? Okay. Uh, number one, you would say that. The, the um. The truths previously expressed, mm-hmm. but which, coming up against, new problems, mm-hmm. uh, have not been expressed in ways that, in ways that directly respond to those new problems, mm-hmm. um. Are further developed, right, so that what's contained in those. What's contained by implication right in previous articulations is now drawn out unpacked made more uh explicit in response to contemporary situations that okay. is not to be understood mm-hmm. in hegelian terms right okay that's not a statement that we're just continually developing um what we say so that 50 years down the road 100 years 200 years down the road mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. suddenly we're just completely in the opposite direction of where we were before. Okay. Um, but instead, to say, you know, I, I'm saying X, and then, um, and then, some new situation that hadn't ever, hadn't really crossed anyone's mind at the time we've said X mm-hmm. has arisen, and somebody says, "Well, gee, um, how would that fit into this new situation that no one ever imagined before?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't find directly in the proposition X mm-hmm. the um, the response to that new situation. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is read that proposition in light of many other things that have been said in the tradition about various other matters. Okay. And you can now formulate a response to this new situation. And I think that that's the way Ratzinger understood one dimension of the continuity issue. Okay. I think the other uh dimension of the continuity issue for Ratzinger and this is um this is like um I would say part of his identity as a member of um of the resourcement um movement, right? Okay. Is that there were aspects of catholic thinking that over time in the context of 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 their historical circumstances, Mm -hmm. had sort of been obscured. Things that we'd forgotten about, right? Um, And and that what happens is, as you develop, as you go through the centuries, Mm -hmm. you tend to sort of frame your thought, right, in a certain way. And as you do that, there are certain things you just don't talk about as much, and you start to forget about. Mm-hmm. but they're there in the tradition in the fathers of the church and in 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 say buried in the early medieval tradition um and they're why not bring them back do, do we is it wrong to dust them off and reintroduce them and say hey have you seen sam He's, he, you haven't seen sam for a while mm-hmm. um you know bring him back into the room and and, mm-hmm. and let people uh talk to sam again mm-hmm. I, I don't um I think that's part of what he's thinking, right? I think that's part of his thought. So look at the two main movements at the time that Ratzinger was involved in. Um, Resourcement, which goes back to really the late 19th, early 20th century, right? This desire to recover not only, um, not only sort of collations of the sayings of the fathers mm-hmm. um, or uh, quotes, right? Taken out of context of the fathers in the writings of certain great theologians, most especially St. Thomas. But to go back to the actual texts, right? Mm-hmm. And this was made really uh, much more, um, it was a much more possible thing for us to do by the early 20th century because so much work had been done sure in recovering manuscripts, mm-hmm. right? Ancient manuscripts. They'd been collated we were starting to work on um, on um, uh, you know scholarly editions of them and put them mm-hmm. into contemporary print, and we could publish them and make them widely available. So think of you know the the think of the all the work done under uh, under Ming right with the Patrologia series. Sure. Um, all of a sudden, it's possible for us to read the fathers in a way that wasn't possible even. Like for St. Thomas, mm-hmm. right? Um, sure. So the resource Mont was really about that going back mm-hmm. and recovering the, recovering the tradition, mm-hmm. um, not just one snippet of it, one mm-hmm. line of the tradition, right? Mm-hmm. One trajectory, but the broader, yeah, you know, sort of, yeah. So, uh, but, but the a, other movement, though, before I... Sure, the sure. other movement is the ornamental movement. Okay. All right, which. That's the one I think that probably raises more consternation among um, a certain segment of traditionalists, right? Mm -hmm. The adjornamento movement is the movement to bring teaching in the church up to date. And I would say, here's where I in my view, the problem with the adjornamento movement lies. Mm -hmm. I believe in the adjornamento movement, Mm -hmm. but... The problem historically is not not everyone involved in the adjornamento movement was really committed to resource mon, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and and I'm sorry, but if you're not committed to resource mon and you're in the adjornamento movement, you're probably going to turn into some kind of Hegelian. Sure,
0: yeah, I can see that because you're not rooted in something. You're know, like you're you're sort of wanting to do this updating project, but you don't sort of have a uh, a sort of um, standard. Yeah, like you don't have a commission, right? To kind of kind of provide at least an orientation, right? Um, yeah, uh that will that will be sort of
1: faithful to the tradition. Right. So Ratzinger's view, mm-hmm. I think, right, is that Vatican II is adornamento in continuity through resource model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's that's his reading of it. And I would say mm-hmm. that's also true of John Paul II.
0: Okay,
1: good, good. Yeah, that's helpful. Um
0: the um so what would be an example, Rich, of something in the council that's uh, a um, an effect of the good sort of aggiornamento plus resource month, uh that you're referring to.
1: Yeah, okay. So um going back to Vatican one, all right. Okay which I've been reading more about lately too, you know. Um, Vatican I was a very messy council, and one which um, it's it's interesting, you know. Um, many of the criticisms people would level against Vatican II could just as easily be leveled against Vatican I uh, in terms of the politicking and, um, and not everything seeming to be on the up and up, right, as the council is sure. unfolding. Uh, different factions, some of them mm. modernist, um at work behind the scenes. And um and some of those factions were 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 sort of moderate, others extreme. Mm-hmm. That was that was true at Vatican I just as it was at Vatican II. Um and one of the criticisms that was leveled probably probably true at Constantinople three as well. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah I think. Like the Byzantine, much, the Byzantine emperors didn't get didn't
0: get really involved in a lot of this stuff. But anyway it's good. <laughs>
1: Virtually all the councils, right? I mean, this sure. is just councils are not. It's you know that saying if you don't uh, what you don't want to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um. So. So Vatican II had its definite problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vatican I. I mean, had its very its sure. definite problems. The the issue, the central issue at Vatican I was essentially responding to the. Um, Contemporary socio-political situation, sure. In the late 1800s, right. Mm-hmm. So you had um, y- what you had at Vatican I was a radical shift in the way um, in the way states existed, right? So you sure. you had a decline in monarchy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, the rise of. You know more about this topic than mm-hmm. I do. This this era in in politics. Right. This you had the rise of secular governments, right? Mm-hmm. Secular dem- democratic regimes, and for a long time before Vatican I, the Magisterium of the Church had been expressing deep concern about the implications of this sure. shift, right? Uh, right. <clears throat> with grave fears about mm. the totalitarian um, tendencies, right, involved in in these kinds of in these kinds of governments because there's no one particular person you can identify as someone to be held accountable, right? Sure, right. And okay. instead you had this possibility of developing a tyranny of bureaucracy and law. <clears throat> and one of the things that could happen, of course, right, is that, and was being explicitly expressed, um, was that the authority of the church was pushed away mm-hmm. Um and the secular authority presented as absolute. So the church wanted to respond to this. Mm -hmm. And the two documents at Vatican I were really responses to these questions. The first situates what a proclamation of faith really involves. Mm -hmm. And the second deals with the structure of the magisterium, in particular, the papacy. Right. Right. So um the proclamation of Vatican I about the um the immediate and um universal primacy of the Pope, right? Mm-hmm. The immediate, ordinary, and universal primacy of the Pope throughout the entire church and over every individual in the church, right, was sort of a bold assertion that um that placed articulation of the papacy in language that was Arguably by some um, a rupture from tradition mm. and um, because it emphasized it emphasized to a kind of extreme, right the the role of the Pope in the church. sure. And then finally the um the claim that the Pope could utter statements infallibly mm. without requiring the consent of the church to do so, mm-hmm. Uh, was also considered a rupture from tradition by many people, and what we don't tend to talk about in Catholic circles mm-hmm. is the it is the number of people and how widespread were those at the council who were very unhappy with that proclamation mm-hmm. and advised against it all right so um the first Vatican council was was really messy, and i i want to i want to say um what were they worried about right well they were worried um they were worried that basically we were now we were now teaching ultramontanism when before we'd always considered it a heresy okay so about the, the critics of uh, of vatican one of papal infallibility right The critics okay. of papal infallibility and absolute universal primacy right they were right. they were saying I, I thought yesterday we said ultramontanism was right was a heresy right Sure. sure. Uh, now, now we're teaching it in our documents. So, it turns out that following Vatican I, immediately the ultramontanist reading of the documents came to the fore. Sure. And now the church had to be faced with suppressing the heresy of ultramontanism, which it did. But the problem is that the way the documents are worded, they do lend themselves to such an interpretation. So this is, I think, actually an important point. At uh...
0: Because, right, the, um, you know, you mentioned Hegel uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, one of Hegel's, I think, good insights, right, is that there is uh, such a thing, right, as zeitgeist, mm-hmm. uh, that there is a spirit of the age, so to speak, um, culturally, historically, right? Like there's a there's a public mind sort of, right, mm-hmm. that goes out, that goes beyond any individual or any individual's intentions, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... It's uh, sort of takes on a life of its own sort of trajectory. Right. I think that's probably true of Vatican one and what you're talking about as well as Vatican two, or really any, I mean, Hegel would say any sort of historical yeah. period, right. There's a spirit of the age that, that sort of, as I say, has a, has a life of its own and a trajectory of its own. And maybe the ideas go beyond You're like, you know, you sort of, uh, you to, I think about sort of the moderate revolutionaries in the French Republic, uh, in the French revolution, right. You know, who sort of, you know we're kind of you know, like businessmen and and kind of merchants and we're sort of like well we mm-hmm. want less noble uh privilege and and tradition to restrict our business and then things get really out of hand, right You're like oh i didn't mean all that right yeah yeah uh, but you know the the ideas do have this kind of logic right kind of built into them that sometimes
1: kind of runs away from the original authors but yeah, right, right right. so your question was about vatican two correct and here i'm talking about vatican one because one of the things that became really obscured in Vatican I, as a result of Vatican I, was exactly mm-hmm. what role the bishops played in the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. right? So, um, I mean, there's no question that that became a major problem. Mm-hmm. And we developed this, um, this view of the church in the wake of Vatican I that was extraordinarily top-heavy.
0: You could right. I mean, it, if you took that definition very literally, uh, right? right. Uh, this is absurd. I don't think anybody intended it this way, right? But if you took it literally, it seems to me you could logically just get rid of all the other bishops, right? The or maybe exactly, like three, of, three of them or something like that. You know, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. you might need three to elect the next pope or something, right? But basically, you could just have you know uh, papal delegates or you know whatever uh, scattered throughout the world to be kind of managers, and that's that's that's,
1: that's yeah, all you that's, really that's need. That's is basically. Pope. <laughs> right so Otto von Bismarck who was no friend of the Catholic church right in fact he was part of the problem he was he was mm-hmm. one of the precipitating issues uh-huh. uh so he um he immediately you know was like well i mean it was exactly as they predicted as the critics predicted at the council right mm-hmm. um how catholics would be thought of mm-hmm. um so the Pope could just tell you, you know, it's it's uh it's snowing on the fourth of July and it's snowing on the fourth of July. He could say right. whatever he wants. And it's sure. true. And you bishop the bishops here are nothing but um agents of a foreign potentate. Mm. Right? That's all they are. Yeah. Sure. Um they're they're middle management guys. Find that, and their yeah. soul their uh-huh. sole purpose is to repeat what
0: the Pope says. You can find that in Wasp uh propaganda in North America all Uh over the place right especially right after that came out in the school oh yeah i mean like you can see uncle sam one of my favorite pictures like uh, cartoons like this is uncle sam uh sort of like standing on the on the north american continent right Mm -hmm. and he's kind of you know sort of standing up in this upright you know he's just like no right there's just like this cringing kind of Pope figure over (laughs) inside trying to invade right Uh the united states right uh because it's a
1: foreign potentate right yeah Right. And, and many, many of the American bishops, I think the majority of them actually were mm-hmm. opposed mm-hmm. to the proclamation, right, to this, mm-hmm. to this definition for that reason. Right. So how did Vatican II kind of help that situation? Yeah, well, Vatican II helped the situation because it placed more emphasis, right? Uh, it, it kind of filled in that gap that was left mm-hmm. after Vatican I. In, clearly, in my view, it wasn't enough. Um, because i think we still deal with the problem okay right but um but it if you look at the documents if you look at Lumen Gentium, mm-hmm. um the document on the church right the constitution mm-hmm. on the, the dogmatic constitution on the church you you do see a renewed emphasis on the importance of the bishop right the authority mm-hmm. of the bishop in the church and mm-hmm. his, um, and the cooperative relationship, right, that exists between the pope and the bishops, that the church sure. isn't just the pope, sure. Yeah, I think that's a uh, so you know, we're talking about collegiality, right? Yeah, so the, the heading it usually falls under. So it's definitely a recovery of something that was mm-hmm. absolutely in the tradition, mm-hmm. right? There, I mean, just try to think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic tradition, without without like understanding who the bishops are Mm -hmm. doesn't make that's a bizarre thing and yet there's no question that in the wake of the first vatican council there was tremendous confusion introduced into the church over that matter sure and and that that issue was addressed Mm -hmm. uh rightly at the second vatican council it was Mm -hmm. a major problem Mm -hmm. and uh and the vatican second vatican council took measures to correct it so yeah so if you want to think about this positively and constructively. You know, one
0: might one, one way you might think about it is that what Vatican I did secure right is that we're not going to let nation states reduce Catholic the local Catholic churches to merely national churches right there's going to be a an international global component built into Catholic ecclesiology and jurisdiction yeah such that there is this just think about it so there's a political from political view there is like you can't just say there's the Church of England, the Church of France, the Church of Mexico, right, that's under the the local government, right? So maybe that's Vatican I's positive contribution, right? Uh, And then Vatican II's positive contribution say, and yet we do want to recognize, right, the the localities, right, uh, your local church, even maybe sort of groupings of local churches under, you know, the nation, that those are realities, uh, and those are realities that have their own integrity to them,
1: right? Yeah, right, right you know that's right um, and in fact where you know where do i live out my catholicism do i yeah, live out my catholicism sure. in rome <laughs> oh, right. no i live yeah. out my catholicism in my local parish yeah yeah in yeah. a particular diocese yeah that's very important i think yeah yeah uh okay good well i think that's a good uh,
0: uh illustration i mean I, I would maybe add um you know just a couple uh of my own and then we can maybe talk about yeah uh um sort of the way this is kind of sussed out in terms of different interpretations so this we're saying this would be a good example of continuity, right? Yeah. Uh, collegiality. Being and it's the kind from...
1: of continuity that is, um, that's a continuity really that re- that relies on resource model.
0: Okay. Gotcha. You're right. The uh, two others that I would add in here maybe would be, uh, the universal call of holiness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which clearly is in the tradition, you know, it's yeah. in the best of the tradition, but certainly had been obscured, you know, or yeah. made, made, you know, just kind of unclear, right? With right. all the emphasis on maybe the sacredness of the priesthood and holy orders and, and things like that. I don't think with the intention to demean the lay state, uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, maybe, you know, just sort of losing sight of it, right, uh, in, yeah. in a way. And that uh, the universe call called holiness again present, you know, in the earlier tradition,
1: but maybe not. Yeah, and, and ne- never gone. I want I want right. sure. to right. be clear on that, right? It, it was never completely suppressed, right, in the church, but it was but it was obscured. It wasn't the way people tended to think about things. That's but right. in fact, yeah. in fact, to put it like, let's look at the language people used. Do you have a vocation? Meant, are you called to be a priest or a religious?
0: That's right. That's right. Or you're just not, well, you're out of vocation, maybe you just, you know, muck around and get married, right? <laughs> you yeah, know? right. You um, know again, not that serious people would thought, thought about that way. But, I mean, I think in a cultural, practical level, sometimes it's lived out that way. One other one probably would be uh, Dave Arebam and the recovery of Scripture as a yeah. normal part of Catholic life. Uh mm-hmm. You know, obviously you know, it would be false to say that Catholics were forbidden prior to Vatican II from reading scripture or, or participating but you can also say at a practical level, right. It just wasn't a major part of normal Catholic life. Right? Yeah. I mean, maybe, I, maybe the monks, maybe the monks chanted it, you know, Yeah, but
1: that's not the, you know, we're, most of us aren't monks. Right. Well, you know, interestingly, like I, too. I could reach behind me here and pull off the shelf, some old Catholic Bibles. Mm-hmm. I could show you in the beginning of the Bible right, where mm-hmm. they printed out some um, statements from popes, old popes, sure, sure. telling the lay people to read scripture on a regular right. basis, right? Right, right, right. So that was part of the thing. But in practice, right, it just didn't trickle down mm-hmm. um, to the people very well. And, okay, to, let me bolster your view. It, let, I'm not going to, I don't want to pursue this right now, but sure. I want to bolster your view by saying that one of the reforms that were call, that was called for in liturgy which i personally think is a good reform was the um expansion of the lectionary to include mm-hmm. more of the old testament mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so if if you're not reading the scriptures at home uh partly because you're afraid you don't know how to interpret it mm-hmm. um and if um and if when you go to mass, you're only hearing a very small selection of readings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they're only read in Latin. Right? Sure, right. You're right. Where's your Bible? Right, okay. right. hmm Doesn't so play part- a large role. Yeah. <laughs> so it's
0: just two I, I just thought I would throw in there without yeah. doing a detailed analysis. I just think that those are two other ones where you could say that there's, you know, continuity, right? There are things mm-hmm. in the tradition that are prior, but you have you do have some developments right uh, that are um, uh, positive uh, uh-huh. within the the council now that sort of emphasizes the the uh, hermeneutic continuity right sort of approach right but yeah. we know of course that that's uh rejected by two other sort of groupings within the church and I'm going to go ahead and don mind just kind of speak to this in using a little bit of political language just because I think I know some people don't like that but <laughs> I think it's actually useful here. Um, you know, we could talk about here, right, uh, a progressive sort of faction, right? I think we can talk about a conservative faction and a traditionalist faction. Uh-huh. I'll explain what I mean by that. I don't necessarily mean uh, what we would, uh, in uh-huh. using those terms, what we would mean by, and say, in an American politics, but uh-huh. just sort of as a, as a sort of formal ideas. Progressives tend to be sort of people who are for radical change.
1: Right. Uh-huh. in political
0: language, right? There is a faction within the Catholic Church today that is for radical change, right? Yeah. Um, there's a faction in the church that's for some changes, but not radical ones and uh-huh. wants to conserve elements of the prior tradition, right? And develop them. That's what I mean by conservative. Right? Yeah. So I would include under conservative John Paul II and Benedict XVI. They're not reactionaries, Right. Um, they're not wanting to say no change, right mm-hmm. or no development. Um, but uh, they're wanting to, but they're wanting to have some change, but in continuity with the past. And that seems to be conservative in a small C sense. Oh. And then we have, I think traditionalists who, uh, again, without trying to be demeaning or anything, just uh, my interpretation of them is they just say no. like, yeah, th- th- these changes, introduced by the Second Vatican Council, or post-Second Vatican Council were misguided, um inappropriate, unwise, and we just need to go back right to 1962, at least as a uh kind of a new starting ground, right? Mm-hmm. Uh the some might want to say we just want to stay there, <laughs> but whatever. I don't want to get too down the weeds there. Um, but I think that's a fair sort of analysis, right, of the yeah. uh, uh, breakdown of the three sort of factions there. Mm-hmm.
1: that sound right? Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, we could probably add some more. Sure. There probably are like reversionists, right? Who, might want to back from, <laughs> you know, before Vatican one, before Vatican, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, but um, but, you know, the. Um, but yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, that, those are the major players, I think, in this current controversy. Right. So
0: if you think about it in those terms right uh we can sort of think about the we can look at those three factions in terms of continuity and discontinuity right yeah right so that uh with our you know one thing uh that it's it's interesting right progressives and traditionalists right would actually agree on something which would uh-huh. seem strange because progressives and traditionalists seem to be very opposed, so for example on something like um Interconfessional communion, right? Yeah. Traditionalists and progressives would be very opposed to that, right? Right. You know, like uh, in terms of that progressives would be very likely to say, yeah, we should have that in some way. Traditionalists very likely say never should happen, right? That is admitting, say, Lutherans or Anglicans or yeah, you know, uh whatever to uh Baptist to um uh communion. Um but what they do agree on, right, that is traditionalists and progressives is that the second Vatican council was a rupture, right? Yeah. With the prior
1: tradition. Is that correct? I would say so. Yeah. That, that is a point of agreement. And they, they agree on basically two things on this, right? Number one, Vatican II is a rupture from prior tradition. Mm-hmm. Number two, they agree that the progressives won. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. They it agree that the progressive, progressives rough, are, yeah. are, are yeah. that they won the day on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So the progressives, of course, would be very happy with their own interpretation of the council, and the traditionalists would be deeply discontented with it, right? Sure.
0: And I think it's important, like, if you're not a traditionalist, to kind of understand, like, the tr- this point, because I think it explains some of the, uh, I'll say, ardor uh, mm-hmm. that you might find in the traditionalist camp. I mean, they fundamentally see, they, they see t- to different degrees, of course, right? But um, that there's something fundamentally wrong, right, with what's been introduced either by the Second Vatican Council or the subsequent, you know, uh, sort of magisterium or yeah. subsequent sort of church politics. If we just want to put it that way, they're, I mean, they're they're troubled, right? They think there's been a departure, right, yeah, from the Holy Catholic Faith, right, right, um, and that they have to sort of oppose that. Um the uh and yeah, uh, people should be familiar with you know some of the flashpoints there. What would that what would be some of the the things a particular traditionalist would would tend to sort of criticize, Rich?
1: Yeah, well, one of the biggest ones is um ecumenical and interreligious dialogue, mm-hmm. um, between which I would want to distinguish, by the way. Sure. I want to be clear on that. They are not the same thing. Right, yeah, right, right. Um and and there's a whole there actually is a whole um that's a very messy subject right ecumenical sure. and interdisciplinary or inter um interreligious dialogue It's very sure. messy because you've also got the place of um Jews and Muslims mm-hmm. and how how those should be where do we fit those in right mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in terms of those breakdowns um the church has approached discussion with non-Catholic religious groups mm-hmm. differently since the second Vatican council and sure in line with uh, conciliar documents. Right. Right. It, it has approached those matters differently than it had in the past. And the question is, does that represent a rupture mm-hmm. or, um, or does it, does it represent a, uh, an adjournamento of um, sure. the tradition? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think, I think a, we can make arguments. Mm. I, I think I think we can make arguments um in for both of those okay. interpretations, right? Mm-hmm. Um that'd be one case. I mean, that's probably one of the really big ones. Sure. Another would be um the um well, people cite the reform of the liturgy, but mm. I, I don't really recognize that one myself because um I don't see that as as a conciliar matter. I know Dr. Bozakili, what are you saying? Well, because when you read the document, um, when you read the document on the liturgy, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Sacra Sanctum Concilium. Um, it it doesn't contain any of the, Mm -hmm. uh, any directive to do any of the things that we actually did in the wake of the council. (laughs) Sure. Um, does that kind so of I, does, I just, does that just
0: kind of kick the can down the the field, yeah. The because you could say okay, fine, but then subsequent things did, right? And here we yeah. are, right? So yeah, maybe it wasn't Vatican II in itself, but it was the post-Vatican II regime. Well it's the Zeitgeist, it's the Zeitgeist, right? I mean somebody signed off on it, or somebody said you can do this stuff, or somebody decided to not punish people for not doing stuff for you I mean yeah. It, yeah at some point, like it's here. And
1: no, that's but, true, that's true. And um, you can blame the council for that because the council gave rise to the event but yeah, sort of um but the document itself th- mm-hmm. does not does sure. not call for that yeah, I- i'm not another so i'm not i'm not laying this on the council the things that went wrong with liturgy mm-hmm. because i don't believe that the majority of the council fathers sure signing that document right had that in mind mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah um in fact, I did a video on on um, that's right, yeah. I did a video on this at one point, right? Mm-hmm. And I talked about the um, John the Twenty Third's attitude toward Latin, right, mm-hmm. which was hardcore, right? like. <laughs> From our sure. standards today, uh, right? right. Um, he expected people to be fluent in Latin in order to get anywhere <laughs> in higher education. Of um, so, I mean, to think that he imagined the liturgy being just completely translated into the vernacular and mm-hmm. and Latin in the liturgy being verboten mm-hmm. uh, is unthinkable. I'm sorry, right, but you can't right. put that on on John's. Have,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's good. So if we think then those are some examples of, say, what animates sort of the traditionalist view that Vatican II is a rupture, right? Uh, You know, you think about the progressives. Well, they think it's a rupture, but in a positive way, right? Yeah. You know, like, so what would, uh, I know that, so you're going to, you disagree with the progressive interpretation of the Second Vatican Council, but sort of laying aside your disagreement just temporarily uh, what would be what would their view? What, what's the progressive interpretation of Vatican II? Do, do you see what yeah. I'm, okay. I'm so, clear?
1: so they they see the reform of the liturgy as being sort of a central issue, mm-hmm. right? And for them, right, the um, you know, the move toward versus populum in the Latin Rite, mm-hmm. right, that is turning toward the people when the priest faces the people to say to say uh, sure. the liturgy for for most of the progressives i would say that's sort of a non-negotiable triumph and they're not willing to let that go okay uh even though the documents don't call for it and mm-hmm. um at least not the documents of the council right mm-hmm. they don't call for that the um because they're reconceptualizing what the liturgy actually means and um and for them right they want to turn they want to turn the liturgy into um, an event of the celebrating community. It's mm-hmm. um it's about the community, right? It's really right. about the community. It's about imminence. It's um, it's much more horizontal. Gotcha. The emphasis right. is taken off the notion of um, off the notion of sacrifice, off the mm. notion of a An eschatological culmination at the end of time, Mm -hmm. right? But instead, placed on the here and now, you and me. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so the Eucharist is a meal Mm -hmm. rather than a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing this is what's insidious about this whole thing. On the one hand, I would concede that some of what they wish to emphasize is indeed found in the tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. But I would say that what they've done is they, they've, they've placed the emphasis so heavily in that direction that they've, sure, radically distorted the tradition. Mm-hmm. So it might have been one thing to recover elements mm-hmm. uh, of what it was they thought was lost, Mm-hmm. It's another thing to jettison all those other matters, right? That had right. constituted our reception of the liturgy in the Western, in the Latin sure. right. Sure, and and it sure. it's hard, it's hard not to say that they did that. Yeah,
0: let me. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that that makes sense, and that dovetails with something else I've heard. Uh, and you can give me your analysis of this, but that uh, a lot of progressives see Gaudium et Spes as the central document of the council, right? Yeah. They believe that the Godhamit Spez introduces a, a kind of a hermeneutic for an approaching modernity. Yeah. Right? That's dynamic. Uh and I'll just leave it at that because it, it dynamic and as you said, imminent, right? Yeah. Uh right. The that that you know the way of the church is the way of man, or something like that. You know, yeah, along yeah, those yeah, lines, yeah Right.
1: Yeah. So, can you address that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that um, you might say, right? I think that's another another area where progressives and uh, traditionalists agree. Okay. All right. That Vatican II is extraordinarily anthropocentric. Okay. And um, anthropocentric in a way that that is exclusive from theocentricity. Right okay. mm-hmm. Now this is very interesting, right? Because even many of the conservatives will concede that there's an, anthropocentri- an anthropocentricity mm-hmm. to um, to the to Gaudium and Spez okay. uh, John Paul, II, being one of them, mm-hmm. he very explicitly um, discusses that in Dives and Misericordia in 1980. Okay now um. He doesn't think that's bad. Mm-hmm. He also rejects the view held by both the traditionalists and the progressives that that means it's exclusive to being theocentric, mm-hmm. okay? So the, he's, mm-hmm. he's threading the needle on that. And I think that's one of the issues that maybe distinguishes the conservatives wow. from both the trads and the progressives, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, characterized by JP two. You could argue about whether he's right or wrong on it, but his attitude is sure, I guess, that an appropriately understood uh, anthropocentrism Mm -hmm. is, in fact, theocentric, right? Why, right? right. Not because God is man, but because humanity is made in the image of God and directed to God, Mm -hmm. right? So, if we properly understood what God was up to in making humanity, then Mm -hmm. understanding humanity would mean directing our attention toward god that's mm. john paul ii's view sure but the progressives seem to think right right that the overlay of god is just sort of almost a, really an impediment to peace on earth mm. because what we're doing is we're we're putting this preferred religious perspective um we're adding We're adding another problem to the mix. It's bad enough that we have struggles over territory and access to water and food, distribution of wealth. Now, on top of all of that, we also have to fight about religion. Mm -hmm. Well, if we just framed our religious perspective as a pursuit of what's common to humanity. I see. Right. right? The common human dignity, human flourishing. Mm -hmm. Then um, it wouldn't get in the way, right? Mm -hmm. It could embrace and it could it could gather in um and bring about peace on earth Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a kind of marxist way of thinking about Mm -hmm. religion really but um sure Sure. well i mean i think you can see liberation theology right i mean it's yeah absolutely
0: closely its development runs closely parallel to kind of a progressive interpretation right uh of these uh, uh of these matters um uh, for sure. Okay, right, well, that's, that's I think, interesting and, and helpful. What, um, if we were going to look at um, sort of, what is it that the conservatives and the traditionalists would agree on vis-a-vis the Second Vatican? Maybe not, they don't agree on, maybe that's the main, is that their main point of, dis, of disagreement?
1: Between the conservatives and the
0: traditionalists? Yeah, yeah, is the council itself. Because it, it seems like they do, agree on certain things like i think both traditionalists and conservatives would broadly say um reject um you know any sort of um you know changes in moral theology right yeah. that are you know particularly um
1: you know known about today or discussed for today. the most part yeah you know um i think you know, i think uh, actually maybe, often and, often um conservatives see themselves as being in agreement with traditionalists but not vice versa Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that's often the case gotcha like for example in in the in the diamond casman debate right one of the things that that came up there was Do the a, question, a, a little context for that what is the yeah the, the diamond casman debate this is it's been going around the internet right okay. um so it's on uh, with aquinas the there's a debate Radge, about right. about um uh whether the about sede Antism, right? Is mm-hmm. the chair of Peter currently empty and hasn't right. been for a while? Right, right, right. And um Diamond who is a um, who is um basically a Phoenite, right? Mm-hmm. Um held the view that the chair of Peter has been vacant since after Pius the 12th. That's his position. Ooh, okay. And it's interesting that Casman had asked him about um certain papal proclamations and um and he asked him about Humane Vitae, right? Paul VI's statement of Humane Vitae. And Casman clearly expected him to say that everything in Humane Vitae is right. But Diamond actually didn't hold that view. Now, to be mm. fair, <clears throat> um, I mean, Diamond is a traditionalist that's way to the right of um, the Society of St. Pius X. Right. like. <laughs> yeah, right. but- and he's he's in a legitimately like completely schismatic um, sure. group right. group, yeah. but but in any case, right? He does manifest uh, an extreme sort of con- ex- con- an extreme traditionalism here, right? Right. And and he saw as a departure from tradition. I, I would understand yeah. the arguments that he would make to, to to he didn't get into it, but I would understand the arguments he would make here. He sees it as a departure from tradition that it's morally licit, as stated in Humani Vite deliberately to make use of the infecund periods yes. in yep. the marital yep. act I've, I've heard that so way. as yeah. to avoid pregnancy mm-hmm. all right he sees that as a departure from tradition but most conservative catholics mm-hmm. right would say that that's not a departure that's a development mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's um right that's aggiornamento, right uh that's a giornamento from resource model is mm-hmm, what the, mm-hmm. is what a concern. I think yeah,
0: I, I do think we'd have to sort of say as you, as you did note right that that's a pretty extreme traditionalist view. Most traditionalist, yeah, it's an extreme traditionalist view. Uh, uh, I mean, it's pretty with 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 SSPX is all of a sudden the, the centrist. <laughs> yeah, then, then you've, no, I, I know. Yeah, that's true.
1: That's true. But I, I have. I, I only say that to, to, to mention that. Um, I mean, even people formally in communion with the Catholic Church, there are some that I've spoken to who would be in the traditionalist camp who um, do not agree with conservatives mm-hmm. who think that they agree with them.
0: Okay. Follow what I'm saying on a variety of issues, but for
1: the most part, I think it's safe to say it's a a safe bet. Okay. When it Mm -hmm. comes to, as you mentioned, right, how we think about morality, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. we think about uh, the absolute unicity of Christ Mm -hmm. for salvation. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, The um, the necessity of the sacraments for salvation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's generally broad agreement on these things. I I think Mm -hmm. we do tend to, um, engage in disagreements around the edges of those discussions. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, um, but you know, those are around the edges that at least as far as, well, I mean, in this camp, I belong to the center on this, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm a JP two Benedict 16th conservative. And, um, and so, you know, when I look at those kinds of questions around the edges, mm-hmm. I interpret them as having been considered open questions in the church. Let's say. That the dogmatic, the dogmatic assertions that we make mm-hmm. about the necessity of the sacraments for salvation um, were not intended to address those fringe questions, right? But gotcha. only the, right. the questions in the center. Sure. Does that sure, make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, uh, so... Uh, got just a
0: couple more questions. We've gone it's a little bit long here, but there's a couple of things I think we can still um, need to kind of bring forward. And I think a really important question then would be how is it that, or at least I see, right, that there's some actual agreement uh, between progressives and conservatives
1: right?
0: uh, on this point, right? Uh, that the council was good, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Did the council introduce something good and desirable into the life of the church right yeah um now again conservatives and what what that good is right okay that's going to be where the dispute is conservatives are going to think it's something that's in continuity with the past progressives seem to think it's something that's not in continuity with the past right right um to your mind could you maybe articulate this is putting a lot of work on you sorry rich but what is the conservative view of the positive contribution of Vatican II? Like, what's the conservative view of the good of the Second Vatican Council?
1: Yeah, so that is a good question. Um, we spend all this time sort of arguing about yeah. its
0: continuity and discontinuity and, and like, you know, does it did it fail, did it not
1: fail, is it problemized or not? You know, what's the good of it? Like what 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 does it give us? That, okay, that, that's, so that's praiseworthy. What I'm gonna say here um may seem both shocking and disappointing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um I think that what has generally been said by conservatives about what was good about the Second Vatican Council was that it provided a framework within which to um, reintroduce Christianity as an evangelical project to the modern world. Okay. Right? That um, even the Catholic mind, keep, keep in mind, right, even the Catholic mind is influenced by modernity, and, um, and so there's a risk that traditional ways of, of uh, casting teaching... Will no longer reach the contemporary mind. Mm-hmm. Not that those teachings are false, but that um, they're no longer understood mm-hmm. by within the framework of the contemporary mind. Right? They're no longer mm-hmm. comprehensible. And so, the Second Vatican Council sort of forced the church to kind of reframe how we talk about these things and put everything on the table and just um and, and just shed the light of modernity on it and say, well, what what does this look like? uh, And how can we show it to the modern world? Um, That project is maybe laudable. And I would say that um, John Paul II probably thought that that was what the council gave us. Benedict XVI, I think, thought that's what the council gave us. Did the council give it to us? Um, The evidence mounts that the answer may be no. And the problem is, when we actually look, I'll throw the um, Society of St. Pius X a bone here. When we actually look at the fruits of the council, right, what Mm -hmm. actually did happen to the church in the years following the council, Mm -hmm. it's hard to argue that the developments were positive. Right. All right, we have a crisis Mm -hmm. of faith. I I did a video on that a while back, too. There's a crisis of belief, huh? Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a crisis of church attendance, right? right? There's a crisis of participation. All the things that the council thought would get better on account of what they brought did not get better. And it's gone in the opposite direction. You going in no. the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. so that's just a fact, right? That's yes. not my indictment of the council. Mm. Sure. I'm just wondering, did the council actually succeed did it Mm -hmm. do what it was trying to do right um i kind of think it was trying to do that it was trying to answer these problems and Mm -hmm. the evidence calls into question whether it was successful or not Mm -hmm. um now would would we be in the situation we're in right now had those had the council never happened I, i don't I don't think we can answer that question. The society <laughs> say uh, the X would probably say no; we wouldn't be in the situation. Uh, but right, I don't right. know if we can answer that question. It's counterfactual, right? Um, interesting.
0: Okay. So, would you say that the, that you think that maybe it hasn't
1: gone as well as hoped? Uh, it hasn't gone as well as hoped, <laughs> right? I, but, I think because, maybe, no, because we, when I when you think about the Second Vatican Council, when you think of the Church before and the church after, mm-hmm. right? Your general experience of the post-conciliar church is what happens in your parish uh at Sunday mass sure. mm-hmm. most of the time, right? Right. And Benedict Benedict 16th was was outspoken about his concern that the liturgy had gone awry. Mm-hmm. Um right. That that things were what you experience on Sunday mm-hmm. at Mass is not as edifying as we would hope, mm-hmm. right? It's it doesn't seem to be getting the job done. I'm sorry to say. Mm-hmm. Now, I I'm not. I, I want to say to the audience mm-hmm. here that I'm not um, in. I'm personally not intrinsically opposed to. Um, I'm not in principle opposed to the Novus Ordo. Sure. But um, the execution of the Novus Ordo, Mm -hmm. without getting into arguments about whether the Novus Ordo is such that it has to be executed that way, I don't Mm -hmm. think it does. I've experienced devout Novus Ordo masses, um, but in actual practice, right, your experience of the Novus Ordo liturgy is something that would appear very foreign Mm -hmm. to Catholics of 1962, Yes, yeah sure um so you
0: would uh, would you say that d- so just d- despite some shortfallings, fallings that there, there, that there still is in the Second Vatican Council kind of communio school maybe uh tools uh, yeah, resources I think so. uh, for successful evangelization and and sort of renewal? I do
1: believe that. Okay. Um, I do believe that. Personally, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that um, the project of I mean, John Paul II would say that the that that the um, the approach to thought in the Second Vatican Council was a shift towards something personalistic, mm-hmm. and and I'm sort of inclined in the Comunio direction myself, and I mm-hmm. I tend to think personalism is is good. Um the, there are I mean there are different ways to approach personalism just as there are any other sure um any other philosophical uh, approach, right? Sure. But um but I think personalism is good. I think it has it does, in my view, provide a framework in which it is possible to bridge the gap between those who start by affirming your premises and those who don't.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Because it's based in sort of a phenomenological okay. um, uh, starting point, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, like we we can talk about the experience that we have of uh, living in the world, and on that basis, we can begin to we could begin to discover truths. Mm-hmm. Um, w- without me having to get you to concede to certain presuppositions in order for me to make an argument, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm Yeah, uh, right. yeah. What, I, um, I think that that's I think that's a good thing that we find uh, in the council. Gotcha. Um, but we just, I, I guess I'm of the view that um, that John Paul II was more or less of the view. I, it, it, the council hasn't really been implemented
0: gotcha. well.
1: I, and I I know there are people who reject that view. It sounds to them like um, you know you're supporting another communist regime because <laughs> communism has never been tried. Sure. But yeah. I know that's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, we only have one church, and uh, we've had <laughs> many a lot more right. evidence to go on.
0: Sure. So, what would you say is the the um, the progressive view of the good of the council?
1: Oh, the rupture. Yeah. Right. I mean, the progressive view is that we finally beat those pesky traditionalists, <laughs> and. Um, And we, um, you know, we got away from, we got away from Latin. I mean, look, actually, this is one of, in my view, one of the failings, one of the reasons the Second Vatican Council failed to achieve its results, Mm -hmm. in my view, is that the council fathers who were in the conservative camp Mm -hmm. did not correctly assess the philosophical condition of the time. Mm -hmm. All right. What I mean by that is they were still concerned with addressing modernism. And there were those, right, who thought anti-modernism is still the way forward. Mm-hmm. And then there were those who thought, no, we need a different approach to addressing modernity. But the real problem wasn't modernity. It wasn't modernism. It was post-modernism. Mm-hmm. By the time you got to the second Vatican Council 1960s yeah yeah by the time you got to the 1960s we were in the postmodernist period
0: yeah certainly you've got a a sort of new left at that point right uh-huh. and I think you know within that new left you have you know Herbert Marcuse you have you know the the Parisian uh student riots uh yeah. you, have, you know you have opposition to the Vietnam War we have you know you have the, this is the time of the liberation movements yeah right, right. And kind of a neo-Marxist sort of setting, uh, and perhaps a misreading of those movements or a miscalculation, right, of their maybe both power and radicalness. Uh, Yeah, You know, if I was to state it from a political philosophy perspective, maybe what I hear from progressives, um, you know, Catholic progressives, is that basically we've transformed into a situation in which the individual and various communities are liberated, right, from stifling oppressive structures within the church Mm -hmm. uh, and are able to kind of live out sort of their freedom in Christ and in the church and with the Holy Spirit, but in a way that is um, self-expressed, right? In a way that's not subject to oppressive uh, hierarchies, right? Um, And so it's more spontaneous, it's more autonomous, it's more personal, right? And that they, you know we're all on our own journey. We're you know we're a community in the sense that we're all on this journey, right? Mm-hmm. But not in the sense of kind of ruled by a sacred hierarchy with you know one faith, right? Yeah, uh, right. that sort of thing. Um, right. Which is I'm not try- trying. I'm not trying to distort here. I really am not. Uh, if yeah. I've said
1: anything. In- no, correct- I think that is that is kind of their view. Right with the exception that the hierarchs wish to stay in power um sure, right, right? Sure, the hierarchs sure. promote that view <laughs> yeah uh, right right well that uh, kind of works but, though. with the i mean that kind of works with a neo
0: marxist um uh, polity right because even in a neo marxist polity you need um you still need you know the prolet bureau and you still need you know various officials and commissars and so on
1: mm-hmm. but really i mean i think you're right that basically they want it, it's unitarianism Okay. and um right I mean unit if you you could log on the Unitarian Universalist website and and you'll see right there right that they profess a common a common covenant but not a common Creed <laughs> nice and I and like I that. um <laughs> I like that's what they say <laughs> good yeah I got you <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when you book. look at the when you look at say the the you know the German Bishops conference one mm-hmm. is led to to mm-hmm. to think right I I, I don't I don't think my interpretation here is on the fringes when I mm-hmm. say I, it seems like that's what they think. Sure. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, you know, that's uh, this has been a lot uh, to think about. I think a lot of good uh, good insights here. What would you? Um, I, I have a a, a hypothesis I want to kind of close with, but before I offer that, um, what, what you know, what would your counsel your your thought you know be for? Catholics out there, you know, uh, trying to navigate these issues, um, you know, uh, as far as sort of going forward, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, both in their parish lives, you know, but maybe also in terms of their understanding of where they are in the church.
1: Yeah. Um, The virtue of fortitude, I think, is this is one of those times in -hmm. the life of the church where we, we need it coupled with, of course, the theological virtue of hope. Mm. And um, because the condition of the church right now is not good, mm-hmm. um, I think it's hard not to see that the church is in a crisis at this moment. Right. Um, again, just look at the numbers. Look at the statistics, right? Yeah. Right? yeah. We're clearly in a crisis. and. Um, and yet, I don't I don't want to say something trite like, you know, we've been through this before, look at Council of Nicaea. Um, that's not much help, to be honest, when this is the chapter of the book that you're living in. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um but but I just want to say, you know, fortitude and hope and um and trust in the Holy Spirit that ultimately mm. things will things will be worked out. That whatever trough we may happen to be in, right, uh, there will be sort of a period of resurrection. Gotcha. Would you uh, be willing to give us uh,
0: sort of your thought about where it's where things are headed in the next? Well, couple couple decades.
1: Next couple of decades. I, I so, would you know, say through the end of Francis, you know, into the next
0: yeah. kind of.
1: I don't know. Age. I mean, I will say that at this moment, it's hard for me to imagine that we will escape a fairly major schism okay. in the church. Um, who's going to initiate it, it's hard to say. That's really, that's interesting. Okay, I mean, the one
0: group, it seems to be least likely to initiate it. Well, that's really hard to say, is it? But it seems to me that the group least likely to initiate it would be conservatives.
1: But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah. So, um the conservatives are the mentality of the conservative, right, because it it's a mentality of continuity. Mm-hmm. Um is, I think you're right, least likely to be the, the group to initiate a schism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um because they don't see every change as a departure. Right. And they um and they also see the value of Remaining tied to what, to what's there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think the progressives, if you look at say, like look at the German synodal mm-hmm. path, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see any possible outcome for that movement that does not end in schism. Mm-hmm. It either stops and rejects itself, or it ends in schism. Mm-hmm. I, that that's my diagnosis. I could be wrong. Yeah, but. That's what it looks like to me. Gotcha. Well, that is not
0: <laughs> exactly an optimistic uh, uh, future, but I mean, you
1: know, I guess sometimes we just
0: have to look at things as they really are.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't. I, what happens you know. with that I don't know, right? I, right. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I know, mm-hmm. but you could sort of imagine though that that in the life of the church, if the German, if the German bishops went into schism and mass, mm-hmm. um, that would change the composition of the uh, Council of Cardinals if that happened before the next conclave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then who knows who the next Pope would be. Gotcha. Um, And, you know, the thing is, like, you could be surprised, right? Sure. You you never really know what's going to happen. I don't think people... It seemed that Benedict XVI had stacked the deck in favor of a... um, in favor of a subsequent pope who would be a lot like him Mm -hmm. and i think we got a pope who was not a lot like him interesting yeah and many people now right think that francis has stacked the deck in such a way that we're guaranteed a pope a lot like him Mm -hmm. but you know if uh if past this prologue that may not be true (laughs) right right gotcha
0: Well, that's, uh, uh, that's helpful. uh, Dr. Woolsey Kelly. I I hope that our, uh, our, you know, uh, audience here's, uh, you know, been able to kind of take all this in. I think we cover a lot of ground, but I think it kind of in a, in a pretty systematic way, I think, you know, the, to kind of see um, where the various sort of divisions lie and, Mm -hmm. uh, and why those divisions are there and where there's, you know, similarities and where there are differences. And I think, Mm -hmm. I hope we've, drawn that taxonomy out um, uh, in a fair and accurate way. One hypothesis that I've kind of, I just want to close with, and I've kind of, um, you know, I'm not personally a theologian, but I pay close attention to these matters. Um, and kind of from a philosopher's perspective, especially somebody like myself who's interested in the history of philosophy uh, and the history of ideas, one thing that I've I've wondered about is whether or not um modernity, that maybe the problem that we're facing now isn't so much a problem with the Second Vatican Council in itself, uh, but the problem might be that um, modernity cannot be enculturated in a Christian way, um, which would be a, a fairly harsh thing to say, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I am aware of, as a historian of thought, that catholic thought has gone through various stages of synthesis mm-hmm. right if you look at it right you know one way of thinking about it right is that you have a, you know is that very early christian thought engages with greek thought right and that in that early stage stoic and neoplatonic sources were very important right yeah. uh in later stages aristotelian sources became more important right uh you could kind of sort of track sort of a, a trajectory yeah. that way um, over time. Aristotelian philosophy began to lose its influence in our own culture and the Western culture, um, and and then what? Right. Well, then we have modern philosophy, right? Yeah. And 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 its advent, um, and and it seems to me to be an open question. And that, you know, when I was teaching full time as a professor at a small Catholic liberal arts college, one of the things that some of the students I'd be closer to over time would ask me, it was like, well, how do you think this is all going to suss out? <laughs> you know, and, and I would say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't pretend to know. Um, but I still think it's an open question whether or not, is it possible, put it precisely, for Catholic thought, Catholic faith, to form a new and fruitful synthesis with modern thought, yeah. as it did in the past with, Greek mm-hmm. thought uh, in various forms. Um, and I think that remains an open question, actually. I, I, I yeah. think that it 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 might be that we just, at least it's possible, that it's just not something that we can form a, a new enduring synthesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Modern thought. What do, you, what do you think about that, Rich?
1: Yeah, my initial thought is, first, noting that we should have a podcast on that. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my initial thought is that in any case in which the church has formed a synthesis with some pre existing current of thought, mm-hmm. that current of thought has been transformed in the process. Sure. Right. So there are things about it that had to be corrected. Sure. Um, and so I would say that if indeed it's the case, mm-hmm that we could form a synthesis with modernity, it would have to be one that would transform modernity mm-hmm. in certain essential ways, because mm-hmm. there are indeed elements of modernity that are antithetical to the faith. Mm-hmm. right? The anti-modernists weren't wrong okay, mm-hmm. about, their, about certain basic sure. critiques of modernity. Yeah, But I think right. when you see John Paul II is actually engaged in a project that had been going on mm-hmm. for a long time before he showed up, Mm -hmm. Right. The, the, the movement of personalism within Judaism and Christianity, which traces back to really the, the early 20th century, um, is itself a response to Kant, Mm -hmm. right? When you think about it, what they're trying to do is find a way around Kant back to a a world that that's real Mm -hmm. and, um, whether you think they can do that or not, I guess is another question, right? But they were, what they're doing is they're trying to acknowledge what Kant and modernity get right, mm-hmm. um, but but not to come to the same conclusions, right? Right. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. So sure, sure. Whether yeah, whether they a... can or cannot do it is is mm-hmm. really a a big question, huh? Sure. Yeah,
0: I think uh, I agree with you. That'd be a fun uh, and useful, I think, uh, discussion. Uh, for uh, another podcast uh, to kind of run through some of those uh, possibilities and, and see maybe um, what that would look like and, and and maybe whether it's possible or not. You would certainly hope that it's possible, right? And I think that your point is well taken that when Christian thought synthesizes with uh, something else, it changes the thing that it synthesizes with. Uh, I think that's a fair point uh, of interpretation and probably a good launching point
1: for for that discussion. Yeah. So the well, question we would, does it change it so fundamentally that it's no longer recognizable as it was as it was before? Right? Right? It, yeah. Yeah. Would it yeah. destroy the thing that it touches? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, this has been a, a great,
0: uh, I think a great topic and a good discussion. I hope uh, that our listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have and gotten as much out of it. Um, you know, I hope that we all, uh, you know, um, sort of persevere as, as Dr. Bosa Kelly has, you um, uh, counseled us and you know um, continue and hope um that you know things are um the things that you know the church has been through hard times before and that we will get through this uh, as we have uh uh in the past um i hope that uh, everyone will uh, like uh this uh this video share it with others check out all of our other great content at Catholic Um we have uh you know courses there that are available for purchase if Uh, You're interested in studying more theology and philosophy. Um, And then until next time, God bless.